0: Well, how's your week been? Yeah, interesting times we live in. I'll just tell a quick story about my week. It started out on Monday. I'm racing out of the house to get to our leadership meeting and push the button to close the garage. And as I'm pulling out of the driveway, I see the garage stopped. I saw that's no good. I can't leave the garage half open.
1: And so I get out of the car, left it running and went inside
0: and saw there was a bit of a malfunction with the garage and this cable had come off the wheels on the side and we got a very wide garage door and I being in a hurry the car was running I just need this thing to close and um so I managed to undo one cable and I noticed there's a bit of weight and so I got a ladder that was in in the in the garage and I put it under this side and um that held the weight and I undid the cable on this side, and then I just stuck my back underneath the garage and I pulled the ladder out. And wow, did it come down! And I've got a very big bruise on my shoulder. banged me in the head. Luckily, my shoulder got most of it. But it came crashing down, and I didn't really think about how heavy this door was. You know, my back was not a good thing to be putting in the place. And you know, afterwards, I just thought, wow. I could have been really injured, you know? If that had taken my head, would have knocked me out, I could have been trapped underneath it because it was extremely heavy, this big steel door. And um,
1: so I was very thankful and
0: um, I did make it a bit late to our leadership meeting, but I um, next day got someone to come out and the guy came out and had a look at it and the door got a bit um, buckled in the corner where it took the impact, where it hit the ground. And he says, oh, you're going to have to just replace it. It'll never work the same. I thought, oh, that doesn't sound,
1: that sounds a bit expensive. He says, oh, insurance should cover it.
0: And um, anyway, he sent me a quote, and it was $3,500. And I go, oh, boy, that was
1: a big mistake. But again, I reminded myself, well, at least I
0: wasn't under it, even if it's $3, 000, and it was $3,500. And maybe, hopefully, insurance will cover it. I contacted, filed a claim on my app with the insurance company, and, you know, just thought, yeah, that'll be fine. Well, it was, it was a Thursday, Thursday morning. morning. I, I get a call from the insurance, insurance company, uh, and, and I explained what happened. And they said, "Oh, sorry, you 're not covered for accidental damage, um, so you 're not covered and I must say I was quite disappointed. I thought, "Oh man, that's, that hurts." And I said, God, "God, just please help me in this situation." and I and don't know how, how often you guys go, go, to go to God in prayer, and I, I should um, you know." Pray and thank Him more, because this is in crisis. We often go to God, and I just like God I need Your help. And within half an hour, I had a phone call, and a guy said I'd, I'd put in uh, a few inquiries for repairs, garage repairs uh, online. And this guy says, "Oh, I'm outside your door. I'm going to come and measure your door for you." He says, "Oh, I'll be right out." And so I came out, and this is an older gentleman, and um, his name was Gary, and I'll. I'll give you his um, a high reference because this guy was amazing he came into my garage and explained what happened he saw it and he goes oh I reckon I can repair that and I go oh, what's that gonna cost me oh maybe $170, 200 dollars this guy worked for two hours my garage door is working better than it ever has in the five years I've lived there isn't God good And I just want to tell you, you know, prayer is such a powerful thing. And, you know, the reason we are um, able to be here in church, the reason we're able to be even at the church we are today is because of prayer. And, you know, I don't know what's happening in your life, but I just want to pause today before I get into a a very hot topic. It's a very hot topic, and those that know what it is know it's as hot as it gets But I I just want to pause, and I just want you all to think for a moment. What are the things that are heavy on your mind and your heart today? What is it that's really wearing you down? Just take a moment and think about those things. Let's give it to God. Dear God,
1: we're thankful that we can meet. Last
0: week, we were in lockdown. This week, we thank you that we can come back in person, but Lord, it's, it's a crazy world. There's all sorts of lockdowns and things, a pandemic still rapid around the world, and, and we have so much uncertainty, and Lord, um, I just thank you you're there um, to protect us, to help us with our problems, to help us with our um, bad choices, help us with those struggles with relationships. Help us with um, bad habits and addictions that we know are keeping us from being all that you want us to be. Lord, we just want to give it to you. Lord, we don't want anything to stop us from allowing you to come into our lives and to be part of our lives, to transform us. And so right now, as we get into this fairly heavy subject today, Lord, definitely a hot topic Lord, we want to surrender. We want to surrender to ourselves and give you control. And may today's message be one that just helps ground us in the love and the hope we have in Jesus. So speak through me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for allowing me to share that personal story and and sometimes it's good just to hear that you know those things that we go through because I don't know what you guys go through before you come to church but as we come together in church we know one thing that we come together because there's something about this book and every week we preach about it we study about it in our study groups you know and and, and this has been happening through the ages for some you know thousands of years. What is it about this book? And today we're going to be going, uh, last week we kind of started at the beginning and we covered the difficult subject of death. And you know, death is something we all face and and we, you know, like I said, we sometimes try not to think about thinking it'll go away, but it won't. But we don't need to fear death. We talked about last week how death is the enemy. And it came in because of sin. And so right there in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we find that God created human beings. He formed them with his own hands and he breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. They became a living person or a living being. And so we we made it clear from Scripture those two things are what make a person. You need the body and you need the, the spirit or breath. So body plus spirit equals... A living person, a living being. And you can't have one without the other. So that's just a review of what we covered last week. But now what we want to do is is go into things a little bit um, deeper, a little bit past death. Because, well, we said you just go back to the dust. but, But the Bible talks a lot about heaven and talks about hell. I mean, are these real places? Well... We're going to see what the scripture says, but before I get into some of the heaviness of what the Bible says, because this isn't a topic. Again, this is like death, a topic sometimes I like to avoid because none of us like to think of burning in hell and what that would feel like, or seeing someone else burn in hell. And, and you know, this is something that's been used through the the centuries as something to um, persuade people. You know, you've heard of the hell and brimstone sermons. Well, I hope today is not going to be a hell and brimstone sermon. It's certainly not my intention. Because the, the, the message I want to deliver today is that Jesus Christ loves us. He created us back in Genesis because He wants a relationship with us. Sin came in and brought death, and that separated us from God in that relationship. But He's done everything in His power. He's done so much to sin his son, to send God himself come down and became a man, lived and died to pay the price, to reconnect us in the relationship. And, you know, the Hebrew way of thinking, back in the Old Testament times, you know, God was, a, was someone to be close to in a relationship. But, you know, uh, in that um, time, early this century, the fourth fifth century there was a, what was called the dark ages and through that time as I mentioned last week you know some of these um, uh, Greek philosophies some of these some um, uh, pagan practices came into the church and as I mentioned last week it was kind of where the Sabbath kind of got lost you know the Sabbath was something Jesus kept the Sabbath the Apostles kept the Sabbath so where did it change and, and I'm not going into that today but but you know it was changed Not the Bible didn't change it, but man changed it. And also during that time, there came in the teaching about hell. And, you know, it it was almost like a way of of controlling people. And God became more of this distant thing. This Greek way of thinking is that God's this thing. We have to go through a priest or, or someone else to get to God. We can't even communicate and pray directly to God. This was the sort of thing that was being taught. And then if you paid money, you know, to the church, then the church would act on your behalf. They would pray for you. This thing called purgatory, which is not a biblical thing. It's something that's been made up. And, and, and the church became very wealthy because, you know, people didn't want to go to hell. They didn't want to burn. And so this is something that has continued to be in the church. And I, I don't want to be critical of any church Any church that claims to be a Christian church, praise God. Because most churches at least are lifting up the gospel. But there are some other things in some of the teachings I think that there's a bit of a worry. And when it comes to this thing about death and then about hell, it really undermines the character of God. It really um, kind of allows an open door for spiritualism, for things that are not of God. You know, straight away, if I believe that my mother, who I shared last week, who died in 2006, was still alive, you know, I would long to share with her I had the two beautiful twin boys. She never knew that. She was so proud of my firstborn son. You know, she would tell everyone. Never knew I had a little girl. You know, I'd love to tell her. And someone came to me and said, hey, you know, you can talk to your mom it can be a real open door to something I don't think is from God. And, you know, there's heaps in this, but I just want us to really get clear that we don't want that door to be open. We want to know clearly what comes from God and what comes from the other things. Because we know just because something's supernatural, just because something happens that's not um, uh, something that we can do ourselves or or, um, something that's spiritual doesn't always come from God. We need to put it to the test. Is it in line with Scripture? And you know, the Scripture from the time sin came in right through is teaching about the gospel. And Jesus came to fulfill the gospel. All the Old Testament um, goes through pointing to the rescue plan that God had for mankind. To build that bridge back with him, right through the Old Testament, pointing for many, many prophecies, pointing to Jesus coming. After the flood, a few hundred years later, a man named Abraham came. And um, if you read the end of Matthew chapter 1, you know, a lot of people that read the New Testament, it's a good place to start, but they start out with Matthew chapter 1, and it's just going through the genealogy, and it's just going, going through so-and-so, and so begot so-and-so, and they think, ah, oh, this is a bit boring, and I don't get any further. It might, might not be the best place to start. But if you go the right to the end of that, actually it actually tells you why that's so important, because it says there's 14 generations from Abraham to the Babylonian to exile. There's another um, 14 generations to um To David, thank you. Oh, to David, and then the Babylonian exile, and then another 14 generations. So anyway, that's the last verse in chapter 1 of Matthew. I didn't put it up on the screen. I should have, because my memory and my nerves are getting to me. But basically what it is, is if you do 3 times 14, 32 generations from Abraham... Jesus came. Why is that so important? Because that's really what it's all about. Jesus came to build the bridge. Jesus came. And as we look at the Bible, I like to look at it as um, a way to give us a picture of God, a clear picture. Um, My daughter loves puzzles. Any of you like doing puzzles? And, you know, she goes from, you know, when she was little doing these little 20-piece puzzles, and now she's doing you know, five hundred piece or even thousand piece puzzles. Yep, and it there's always one out, out, out on our a coffee table, table all the time because she you, you, you can stand you there and does puzzles. puzzles. But you know, when, when you do a puzzle, there's there's a, a couple things. What, what do you always start out by doing? Yeah, you start doing the the edges, and, and then you start to then fill it in. You know, there's there's a certain thing that starts in order you do things, and that's important. And when it comes to the Bible. We've got to be careful that we don't suddenly take some piece and try to put it somewhere it doesn't go. Because if you do that, the puzzle, the whole picture is messed up. And here, here in the Bible, in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah tells us, But the word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backward, and be broken, and snared, and caught. So really, the, the principle here that I want to point out is that we can't just take one little thing in Scripture and draw some, some um, belief by, okay, some doctrine. If it doesn't fit with the whole picture, and we have things in, in Scripture, and I'll refer to a few later, that you know, often people draw some great doctrine, some belief from some random story or scripture, and it kind of doesn't fit with the rest of the picture. And I, I just want to share with you that I think what we're going to went over last week and what we went over today is so important for us to understand, to really understand the true picture
1: of the loving God
0: that we have: a loving God that ultimately wants to destroy death. He's sorry that we have to experience death. He warned Eve against it. She chose to do it her way. and She brought death to us all. But he sent Jesus to save us from that death. What a beautiful thing. God wants to reconnect that relationship with us. He's not a God that wants to torture us and punish us. And that's where this topic we're going to look at today is so important. Um...
1: I want to go back to a
0: man who had a real conversion, and that's, he was Saul, became Paul. And in Acts 9, it tells you this story. You know, read through that chapter 9 of Acts, and you see a man who was hunting Christians and torturing them, even likely killed some Christians, had an encounter with Jesus, and his whole life turned around. Amazing. Amazing. And so what did he do? Well, immediately he began preaching about the Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Immediately. Folks, if you're serious about knowing Jesus, if you're serious about accepting him and the free gift of his salvation, that great good news gospel, then it should affect you immediately. And sometimes I think as Christians we're a bit you know, lukewarm. We're a bit afraid to speak out. Do it in love, but don't be afraid to share. And I know often Paul has talked about preaching, but preaching is not always about, like I'm doing, standing in front of a crowd of people. But it's sharing your testimony. It's sharing Jesus. It can be on a one-on-one basis. What has God done in your life? What prayers has He answered in your life? How has He been there when things have been really tough? How has He helped you? And ultimately the promise he gives to deliver us from this world of death and sin. And it says, as you go on there in Acts 9, that Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. You know, sometimes as Christians, it seems like we become more and more less enthusiastic. We should become more and more enthusiastic as we experience the daily surrender to God and, and realize what he's doing in our lives. And the Jews in Damas- Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And after a while, some of the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, this is the point I want to make. When we stand up for Jesus, we're going to have people that won't like it. It didn't take long until Paul had people wanting to take his life. And if you study Paul and you see what he was doing, you can't fault it. He was sharing good news. He was helping people. He was all about helping the needy and and the widows. And, you know, his whole ministry was all a positive thing. But yet they wanted to kill him.
1: And I just want to challenge you don't be afraid
0: of death. Don't be afraid of it. Sure, I don't think any of us want to die. Even if life's pretty bad at the moment, most of us kind of. Still cling to a lot of the good. But don't be afraid of it. Because if you stand firm for God, above all else, if you put Him as the number one priority, then death is not the end. We don't need to fear it. And and that's great news. And there's one more verse here in, in Romans. And these two books, you know, I'd encourage you to read them. You know, Acts and Romans, such powerful. You, you, you read through that, it can excite you. If you're finding, finding your Christianity's getting a bit stale, read Acts. Read how God moved in his spirit and changed lives. And then read Romans, and you find in Romans here um, the amazing faith that's proclaimed and how that we can never amount to anything ourselves, but through Christ we can do anything. And uh, here, Paul writes to
1: to the Roman Roman church, let me say first that I thank my
0: God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about where? All over the world. You know, this is something that we want to share all over our world. What's our world? Our world are the people we interact with each day, the people living under our roofs, the people we encounter in our workplaces, the people we encounter here at church each week. You know we, we need, need to be, be encouraged and ministered to. A few weeks ago, I shared as uh, we we're, were having discussing our theme of the and our our um, vision for this year, walking the way, and uh, you know just sharing how important it is that we are encouraging, being nurses and doctors, not policemen. We're not here to be judging and pointing fingers at people. We're here to be. Helping and encouraging people and being overcomers. This is what church life is all about.
1: So, as we get into
0: this topic of hell,
1: what does the Bible say about
0: hell? Is hell a place? Well, let's see what Jesus says here in Matthew 10 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So here you have, again, this association. You've got the soul, which is a living being, which is the breath, the spirit, and the body together. So if we die, do we go to hell? Is hell somewhere in the middle of the earth? You know, is it some place that the devil has um, uh, control over?
1: Well, I think as as we we look at some more
0: scriptures, we're going to find absolutely hell is a hell of a place even for the devil because it's actually where he's going to be ultimately destroyed. He's not there with a pitchfork, you know, turning over uh, people as they burn and have their um, kind of a bad form of eternal life. Hell. You know, there's a few words that mention... They're interpreted in English, translated, hell. In um, the Old Testament is sheol, which is a Hebrew word which also means grave or darkness or death. So it's almost like the same thing. So when we, often when the Bible is talking about hell, you can just say it's like death. In the New Testament, there's three different words that are uh, translated. Hades, there's Guiana, and Tartarus, which is used once. Um, But these words are not talking about some sort of place that exists in the middle of the earth. These are ultimately talking about the end of life, which is death. And as Christians, we looked at last week, Well, what happens after we die? Well, as Christians, if we've died knowing Jesus Christ, then the next thing we know, it's like a sleep that we'll awaken as Jesus comes in that second time. And we'll be, uh, those who have died will be taken up, and those who are still alive will go up and meet him and be taken. So, you know, that is really putting an end to death. That's the first resurrection. Now, the Bible also talks about a second resurrection, and we'll get to that in a moment. Now, there's a few things here I want to point out. One is last week, I didn't really cover this, and a lot of people tell me that, well, Jesus himself said that you go straight to heaven, you know, to to paradise when you die. We find this in Luke 23. And uh, as we know, the story, if you're not familiar, Jesus died on a cross and there's two thieves on each side of him. One thief basically mocked him, saying, If you're really the Christ, you know, get us down from here. But he didn't really believe. But the other thief truly believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be and he accepted Jesus there on the cross and here we find where Jesus said to him that um, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise and people say "Yeah, see right there right there you today you'll be with me in paradise now a couple of things always answer that with is one is did Jesus go to paradise that day
1: I think it's pretty clear that Jesus rested
0: in the tomb over the Sabbath and early on the Sunday morning, he was resurrected. So um, the, the, the original Greek, where this is translated, d- doesn't have punctuation. So whoever decided the, to put the comma, put it there. But if you just move the comma simply to after today, you see how that changes the whole meaning. I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So you know that, that's a, a really easy one to kind of get our head around. Um, there are some other stories... Um, you find that there is a, a random parable that Jesus himself tells about Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. Um, I'm not going to go in because there's quite a bit in that, but um, if you're interested in that, I'd love to send you some, some information about that. But a lot of people think, see, this, this really bizarre sort of parable that Jesus tells about you know, Abraham's bosom and, and cooling, it's a really bizarre parable, but what it is is a parable. And it's Jesus actually addressing the Pharisees who are very materialistic and basically uh, you know, telling them that um, you know, money is not what's going to save us. Money is not, and, and this parable is not trying to give some new truth about what happens when you die. It's only found in one of the four Gospels, and that's in Luke. And again, if the piece doesn't fit with the rest of the picture, maybe we need to look at it look closer. And, you know, to me, it makes a lot of sense that Jesus, we die, we rest in the grave, we're not already up there floating around in some sort of consciousness in heaven, you know, but we're resting and, and we know nothing until Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, then again we'll be re- re- reunited with the, the breath of life and the body and we'll become a living being again. So here's. Where Jesus really tells some pretty harsh words And the next few things are going to be quite heavy So don't don't leave yet Because I don't want you to leave With some of these negative things I don't want um, you know some of the younger ones here Don't want you having nightmares About some of the things that we're going to read about Because ultimately Jesus says Hey, we don't need to fear any of this If we know Jesus Because he came to save us Not to punish us But ultimately the the whole purpose of sin is eventually it has to come to a climax. And as we look at the whole picture, we have to see that God's done everything in His power to be fair and just. But at some point, it has to come to an end. And that's what we're looking at. And when we actually find here, we're going to read where, where hell is actually at. That um, it's not in the middle of this earth. It's not someplace out there somewhere. It's actually on this earth where hell's going to actually be. So we read here in Matthew 13, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send His angels, they will remove from His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, and the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, that is, is the result of us having to face our sins ourselves. All of us are sinners The wages of sin, the price of sin is death. We looked at that last week. And so if we don't have Jesus, then when the books are open and judgment happens, then we will face punishment. And ultimately it's being destroyed by fire. Now I do want to make a point. I'll just read one more verse and then I'm going to show you a little illustration. Don't be so surprised indeed. The time is coming when all the dead in the graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they'll rise again. And those who have done good will rise to the experience of eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to the experience. Now we already talked about when those who know Jesus, that's the first resurrection, but it says even those who have not accepted Jesus and are evil will be resurrected as well. And the Bible actually talks about in Revelation a second resurrection. So as as Christians, believers in Jesus... We don't need to worry about the second resurrection, because that's really for those who were not saved. But there will become a point where God will bring it all to justice. And that's what this is talking about, the final judgment. In order for Jesus to determine whether someone's lost or saved, there has to be judgment. And uh, then we get into Revelation, it says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, for them the second death holds no power. But they will be my priests and God and Christ will reign with him for a thousand years. So after we are resurrected and we, um, when Jesus comes back or if we're still alive, we've gone up to heaven, the Bible teaches that we'll spend a thousand years reigning with God in heaven and uh, the devil, there's, there's so much in this topic, and you know, I, I'd love to give you more information, but I'm just summarizing it here that after that thousand years, the Bible describes that the new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven. And when that new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, there's going to be another resurrection. And this is the resurrection we don't want to be part of, and we don't have to be if we know Jesus.
1: When the thousand years have come to an end, Satan will be let out of the prison.
0: He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth, and he will gather them together for a battle, a mighty army as numberless as sand along the seashore. So you can imagine all the people that ever lived that don't know Jesus. And rallying with the devil, Gog and Magog is just a symbolism of those who are against God, and is saying that we're going to attack the city. Now, first, let me just outline, in, in Revelation 21, it describes this New Jerusalem. And why is it called New Jerusalem? Because John, who wrote Revelation, the biggest city he knew of on earth was Jerusalem. You know, if it was here in Australia, we might call it the New Sydney, or, you know, whatever the biggest world uh, city in the world, you know, the New New York, or whatever. Um, but That was all John could compare it to for human beings to try to grasp. But we're talking about a heavenly city. And if you've never read Revelation 21 where it describes the city and the streets are gold and it has all these layers of special gems and it has gates that are one big pearl, all 12 gates around the city. And it tells you the measurements of the city. And the measurements is each side of the city is 2,200 kilometers. That's like from here to Melbourne, one side of the city And here's the part that I love. The actual height is the same as the width. So 2,200 kilometers into the sky. You're talking about a city that goes up into space. Now, I can't get my head around that. This is not a city like we know of bricks and mortar. And this city is going to have all of us who are saved in it. It's going to come down to this earth. And there's going to be this final attack on this city. Now, I I feel pretty absolutely, I should say, confident that I have nothing to worry about if I'm in that city, because I don't care what weapons they are throwing at us, it's not going to do anything. We will be safe in the city. As we read on, it says, And I saw them as they went up upon the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down to the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had, who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and joined the beast and the false prophets, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now this is where we get a little bit um, of this doctrine that came in through the dark ages of that hell is this place where you go and you're going to be tortured and burned forever and ever. Now, who gets immortality? We covered that last week. Who? Well, none of us have immortality. Only God's immortal. But He gives us the gift of eternal life, of immortality. It's a gift. It's not something we have. It's something we get. So we we, we don't have to worry about this, but... It's, it's not, not something where God's going to torture. torture. And, and if, you don't, if you've never seen this movie, there's a showing this afternoon at 1.30. I really encourage you to come and listen. Because this is a great story about a movie about a, a man who really struggled with this teaching. That many churches teach that you're going to burn. That my loved one who didn't know Jesus is right now burning being tortured you know it's not a, and to think they're going to be tortured forever and ever now what the bible teaches is that there is going to be fire and hopefully not burn the church but when there's fire and something's burning and it burns and it burns until it burns out and there's nothing left but ash and it's gone forever and ever and this is where this in translation this is many times lost because this idea of burning forever and ever is talking about a fire that the result of the fire is forever and ever not a fire that will continue to burn. Ashes don't burn. God's not going to continue to fuel a fire to burn and make people torture forever and ever. I mean, what kind of God would do that? This doctrine really undermines God's love. And we we have a God that loves us so much that he sent his son to die and suffer because he longs to have a loving relationship again like it was originally intended to be. Or we trust him. We don't question him. We obey him. And he loves us. And he provides for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. I must go. I know I'm out of time. A couple more texts that I'll get to as I bring this to a close.
1: It says here in Malachi, The Lord of heaven's army says the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked
0: will be, what? Burned up. There's many examples in the Bible where it talks about this fire being something that burns forever and ever. The, the, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah that was destroyed, it talks about it, was, it burns forever and ever. Is it burning today? No. We, we kind of know where the ruins of that is. It is a desolate place, but it's not on fire. And one more text here in Ezekiel. The prophet tells us, You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trades, so I brought fire out from within you. And it consumes you. I produced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching and all who knew were applauded to your fate. You've come to a terrible end and you will exist no more. So when God's talking about hell, hell is simply on this earth. So hell on earth
1: is ultimately where hell
0: is because that will be the final destruction of evil and bad.
1: And we're protected in this beautiful city
0: The new Jerusalem, as it's described.
1: We are there in his safety until that's all done. The fire's burned out,
0: and God's going to recreate this world. In Revelation 20, it tells us there'll be, in 21, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The creator God's going to start over and recreate this world.
1: That's a great thing. And then it says that he's
0: going to actually dwell with us. You know, I don't want you to fear death. And again, I want to refer as I close to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says here in Philippians 1, he says, For me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. You see, because he loved Christ so much that he was the most important thing. And he didn't fear death, because death only meant that he was going to be with Christ sooner. But if I live, I can do more fruitful things for Christ. So he sees his benefits, his purpose for life is to serve the Lord and share his love. And so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. And I remember when he wrote this, he's in prison. So he's not living on the Gold Coast, you know, just having minor struggles. He's in chains in prison and things are not too good. And uh, death is looking pretty good. But he says, I will continue to live because I live for Christ. You know, this is the good news, folks. And I close with the great, most famous text probably in the Bible. And here, it makes clear this teaching that we've been going through. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish so what happens to those that don't believe? They perish. When something perishes, it's gone. It doesn't continue. It doesn't have some sort of morbid immortality. Because living in hell forever is still immortality. It would be a hell of an eternal life, but it still would be eternal life. And God doesn't teach that. He says, no, he wants to destroy evil. It will be gone. We don't need to worry about watching for the, uh, the millions of years in the future. Our loved ones continue to be tortured in hell. That's not a godly teaching. That he'll have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Folks, as I close this very important message, I just want you to think about where is your standing with God?
1: Do you feel confident
0: where you're at with him? Uh, We're going to sing a song, and then at the end I'm going to come back, and I'm going to, Invite those that maybe really feel the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart to, to come forward today and make a decision for Jesus. Don't be afraid to make a decision. Take a stand, okay? Throughout the Bible, all the apostles, they all took a stand, and many of them died some horrible deaths, but you know what? They're going to be rewarded forever, rewarded forever in the kingdom. They're going to be in that, that new Jerusalem city, and you and I can be too. We just need to make a decision for Jesus. Will you make that decision today? I hope so. Mm-hmm.